Hello and welcome to Edinburgh Tradfest podcast episode 5 with me Jane Ann Purdy and me Douglas Robertson. Well, we like to think that you're uh, relaxing listening to this outside in the park on a beautiful sunny May day but you know you could be anywhere at any time. So Douglas tell me what you've got on the podcast today. So this episode includes guest interviewer Malin Lewis chatting with two musicians from Finnish band Frick. Petri Pruda and Tero Huvaloma. Dubliner Derry Farrell's Lockdown Life includes a surprise package that arrived very recently. Jane and I then have a good natter with Rachel Newton and Amy Thatcher of The She before we wind up with a shugle story from bassist Queen McElvin. So it's over to Malin. Hello there, I am Malin Lewis and today I'm speaking with Petri Prouda in the Sibelius Academy in Helsinki. We are just finishing up our lesson that we've been doing on bagpipes and Finnish bagpipes. But first, I would like to speak to Petri a bit about their own musical background and things. So welcome, Petri, and thank you very much for speaking to me today. Thank you for having me. Your main involvement in music, I guess, comes from the band Frigg. And in Frigg, you play the mandolin and the saturn. How did you get involved in that? Is this the band that you were asked to play in? No, 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 <laughs> not not not, not at first. <laughs> no. Um, well, I, at first, I I I started going on the festivals, get to know people, go to jam sessions, learn more, learn to play the guitar better and and the style mm. somehow, and uh, and then I I um, finally got the idea of applying for. For to study at the Sibelius Academy for a folk music degree because I had obviously heard about it and got to know know a lot of people from here at that time. I think it's fairly safe to say that most of the people you meet uh, at international context uh, or festivals and clubs, uh, the professional folk musicians they have been somehow in contact or most of them have have uh, been educated here at the academy yeah uh, the finnish musicians i mean yeah. and uh, so i got in and i started my studies with acoustic guitar and got to and then i got to know more people and and uh, people uh, mandolin is a popular instrument in finland so so I can't remember if I if I got the idea myself or somebody recommended to me. I think maybe some some friends recommended to me that that maybe you could try the mandolin as a, mm. as a also as a second instrument or or because it uh, it opens new ways maybe of also seeing your main instrument. Uh, yeah, and it did really did technically. I somehow feel that the 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 touch and the feel of of uh, how you approach mandolin, especially your right hand, the mm-hmm. the picking hand, because the 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 feeling of the mandolin strings is they are kind of really somehow tight mm-hmm. and sprung, and and so the the touch uh, really needs to be very well kind of controlled and sensitive 
uh, and and this somehow opened to me my right hand technique for the bigger instruments also yeah so it was very beneficial for me to start playing the mandolin in the first place um, and then so then I picked up bigger mandolins <laughs> like uh, octave mandolin Irish bouzouki citern and um eventually somehow the guitar got dropped out <laughs> my active repertoire and and I just continued on the mandolin family instruments I touched on briefly at the beginning that we had just finished our bagpipe lesson um bagpipes isn't perhaps something many people associate with Finland um but could you tell me a bit about your own bagpipes that you play and I guess bagpiping in Finland as it is today. <laughs> yeah, uh bagpipes have existed in Finland also like all European countries. Yeah. But uh unfortunately somehow we we know very little about the history of bagpipes in Finland. Um we don't know very well it, who played the pipes and and what kind of tunes they played. Um uh, we have uh quite quite little of uh pieces of information of pipes in in Finland but um they are connected to the closest neighboring countries mm-hmm. uh i have been studying a little bit uh the piping in estonia and sweden and well I have studied piping in many other countries also but and I mean the the music and the style and the instruments what what is what is it like to get an overall picture of what piping could be in Finland so <laughs> we kind of we have to uh construct piping in Finland again somehow from this from scratch yeah because the last pieces of historical uh information is maybe already 200 years old mm-hmm. so it's disappeared completely yeah from finland and to me your biggest involvement in that is the band pare which you created is that correct yeah i've been collecting tunes uh that would be nice finished tunes would be nice to play on the pipes i have a set of bagpipes made by Uriana Ermala who lives in the west coast of Finland near Turku and uh, he has uh, made an instrument based on the influences from Estonian pipes and Swedish pipes and Scottish pipes because he he plays the Scottish pipes yes. and it's a it's a some kind of version of of uh, of and a combination of all of these instruments uh, it's a single reed chanter but it's a conical bore and a single reed drones two drones so i've been collecting tunes that that suit fit on the pipes and 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 then put up a band around this this music and we made one album so far which is called Hausjärvi Beat. <laughs> Hausjärvi being the village where I yeah. come from and also funnily enough mm, I didn't know this this piece of 
information when I started playing the pipes. But uh, some of the latest, uh, the uh, the latest uh, historical information that we have is that a co- a collector made some notes that old people were telling him uh, that bagpipes used to be played, for example, at harvest feast, mm. uh, and people would dance to the music of the pipes, and they would dance polska, and the best dancers were doing somersaults and everything, uh, kind of more um, wild <laughs> things. <laughs> and and this was uh, written down from Hausjärvi, mm. this piece of old people remembering. Amazing. Cool. And I think it's not unfair to say that Pare was the reason I managed to come to Finland. I managed to persuade my, some of my teachers at RCS to let me go because bagpipes do exist in Finland. Um, and if you're up for it, it'd be really nice to play the first Finnish tune that I learnt, um, Karhunspejas Polska. Okay. You say yeah. it? If you're Polska, yeah. That's it. <laughs> the language is harder than the music. <laughs> Thank you very much, Petri. It's been a pleasure speaking to you, and I hope you have a wonderful day and a safe trip home. Thank you, Marlin. That was super special. That uh, was a traditional track uh, played on pipes by Marlon Lewis and Petri Prouda. And I'm going to attempt to pronounce the title. It's Karhunspeas Polska. We're moving on now to hear from Derry Farrell all about his COVID conquering corner sessions and uh, a little bit of uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Hey there, everyone. Uh, my name is Derry Farrell and I'm a singer and a bazooki player from Dublin in Ireland. 2020 was going to be a big year for my music career and for a large percentage of the year I was meant to be away gigging then suddenly coronavirus spread across the world and into Ireland. My first solo tour of 2020 was to start in England in March uh, but Ireland had gone into a level 5 lockdown and the scary thing was that England had a completely different set of lockdown rules. The thought of leaving Ireland at this stage 
was making me feel anxious because in days leading up to me leaving to go on tour, the restrictions here in Ireland were getting tighter and tighter. Anyway, I needn't have worried because the UK shortly followed suit and their lockdown rules suddenly ramped up. My tour dates were all called off. Soon after, I noticed that gigs I was due to be playing in the near future were starting to be cancelled or postponed to a later date. Then it was gigs that were later on in the year until it came a time when pretty much all of my gigs had been called off for the safety of everyone for the foreseeable future. At first I felt a massive sense of relief that I was at home and I wasn't away on tour or anything like that. But uh, then I was gutted about having lost all of my gigs. So with no gigs, I suppose, for the first while, I just relaxed and enjoyed sitting around watching the TV and fishing along the canal. It actually runs by my place here. Uh, I would drop me partner into work and I'd collect her each day. But it wasn't long before I seriously missed playing the music. I really missed the whole experience of playing to a crowd. On St. Patrick's Day night, my sister uh, thought it'd be a good idea if I was to grab me bazooki and set up a live stream on Facebook. and Sing a few songs, just like as if I was playing a gig. And I did this because I really wanted to play. I'd been missing it so much. The next day, when I checked my socials, I had a massive response from the live performance the night before. So I decided to make it a weekly thing until the lockdown restrictions were relaxed, maybe. The COVID conquering corner sessions with Derry Fardle is uh, what I called it. And I remember making a poster uh, to draw people's attention to the live online performance. Every Sunday night, 10pm, Facebook, YouTube and Instagram, uh, I was going to go live sing a few songs, just as if I was doing a concert. I'd grab me bazooki and I'd grab a can of Guinness and I'd tune it up and I'd just sit down and play songs. And after a couple of weeks, I'd have people throw little limericks or jokes or comments in, just requests uh, for songs maybe. And they'd be read out by Katrina and Kira. And it really was a great bit of crack altogether, I have to say. Some weeks we'd have prizes for the best rhymes written and we would pick the winners during the week and announce them the following week. Some weeks I'd forget to do it, which was even more funny, I think. And we would give live updates about our fish that we had gotten during the pandemic on the kitchen table. And uh, I'd more than regularly remind people to sanitise. I suppose it was annoying. <laughs> then restrictions were lifted a little and we were able to invite socially distanced musicians around to jam live in the kitchen. And we even took the show on the road actually for a while. Uh, we went over to the west of Ireland and down to the south of Ireland on a holiday. And we would invite guests to jam with us who kind of lived locally to probably the places that we were staying in of a Sunday evening. The idea of this weekly gig was, I suppose, for me, was just to give something back to the general public. I suppose something just to lift the spirits. I mean, we're all hit really badly by this pandemic. The response to this was just absolutely astonishing. And so it went on for 25 weeks in a row, every Sunday. 10 o'clock, Dirty Farrell, COVID Corner Sessions. During this time, my music agent, uh, Terry O'Brien, suggested having some merch probably made up. So we had some COVID Corner Sessions t-shirts, and uh, I even recorded a single in the kitchen, consisting of two songs, The Parting Glass, I dedicated to the lives lost from COVID-19, and another song called When the Breakers Go Back on Full Time. That's the song playing in the background here dedicated to everyone who was looking forward to just getting back to normality. 
It was made available for download on all music platforms. And I had announced that I was given one-to-one online bazooki lessons, which was something that I'd always wanted to do. And COVID-19 just gave me the perfect opportunity to act on it. All of this was great, but by far the most exciting and important thing for Katrina and I was the news that we were expecting a little baby last year. This was single-handedly the best piece of news that we ever got. Uh, It's April 2021 now and we're a little family, myself, Katrina and little Fina, who is three weeks old this week. We went into the COVID pandemic a couple and we came out a family and I'm definitely, without doubt, one of the happiest men on the planet at the moment, that's for sure. (laughs) When the breakers go back on full time So thank you, Derry. The track you heard there was a new recording he made during uh, lockdown, which is a kind of double A side. When the breakers go back on full time on one side and the parting glass on the other, is available just about anywhere to download or stream. Next up is our chat with Rachel and Amy from The She, so here goes. The She is a six-piece supergroup formed from musicians on both sides of the England-Scotland border. Delivering an adventurous brew of folk, Gaelic and bluegrass music, the band specialised in slow airs, lyrical ballads, high-energy tunes, hypnotic riffs and, of course, clog dancing. Sadly, we can't see them play this year, but we are delighted to welcome two of their number, harpist, fiddler and singer Rachel Newton and Sting's favourite clogger, accordionist Amy Thatcher. Hi, guys. Hi, yeah. Hello. So you're in separate uh, houses or locations anyway where are you both uh, Rachel you first uh hi guys I'm in Glasgow I'm in my flat in Glasgow where I have been for a long time <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh Amy um yeah I'm in Wall's End um near Newcastle uh yeah I have also been staring at the same walls for quite a long time now as well yeah <laughs> Amy, you look like you've got a bit of a professional setup going on. Is this a new thing that you've kind of had to get together because of lockdown? Um, yeah, well, this is our recently decorated new music room, which um, everyone's done quite a lot of decorating over the last year, I think, when you've been staring <laughs> at the same thing. You know, I think this could be improved, you know. <laughs> we need to do something. Something exciting needs to happen in my life. Uh, but, yeah, we have, we have included quite a lot of new tech and things and kind of improved the setup, you know. Uh, so yeah, it looks very snazzy in here at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> None of us knows who's asking the question. I was going to say, when was the last time that the she all got together in in the flesh? Wow, you know what? When oh, I think, remember, I think oh. all six of us haven't seen each other for two years now because wow. Lilius wasn't wow. um, at the last tour we did. So okay, of that's technically we weren't all there, were we? Okay, two years. did you have a debt for her? Or... Yes, we had the brilliant Sarah Hayes oh, wow. playing flute. So that was great. That was she's absolutely brilliant. So it was great. That so that's yeah, that was our tour in, in Germany. Is that the last time that we Wow, is that our yeah. last gig? Yeah, of course. So what was the last um album that you recorded then? Um that was that was a really long time ago. That was Continuum, um, which we recorded as part of our sort of ten year celebrations anniversary. It was a bit of a present to ourselves. We we commissioned six musicians and songwriters to to write music for us, especially for us. Oh wow! For our tenth birthday, <laughs> and yeah, that was in was it two thousand and sixteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. So it's been a while since we've been in the studio. So who were the composers? We had Catherine DeKell, Corrine Polwart, Martin Simpson, Chris Wood, Brian Finnegan, and... Andy Cutting. Andy Cutting. Nobody's shite then. No, no. <laughs> oh, it was a good present. Yeah, they're, all, they're all pretty passable, pretty passable musicians there. Yeah, yeah. We were good to ourselves there. <laughs> You've both been pretty busy then during the, the lockdowns and all that, yeah? What have you been doing? You've yeah. been teaching and <laughs> writing material, recording, whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I've been busy, uh, not necessarily doing any of those things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll backtrack to uh, October 2019. And this was actually the last time that she met up with Sarah yeah. Hayes. Uh, mm-hmm. We were in Berlin for our tour over there. We've done a few tours over there. They've been lovely. And uh, yes, at that point, I was pregnant with uh, my second pregnancy with twins. Uh, it was going to be my last like, sort of batch of work before taking my maternity leave. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I ended up giving birth over there in Berlin. So, not live um, on stage. Not quite, no. <laughs> but, really? oh, I was quite it fine, you know. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, obviously I, I have 18-month-old twins now. So um, I've been spending the last year just kind of up to my eyeballs and everything to do with that. Uh, so yeah, so, so are, are they busy. bilingual? Are they bilingual then? Have been born in Berlin? Uh, I, 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 yeah, I'm, I'm convinced that you know you kind of play some like nice soothing German whispers or something that that they'd probably mm-hmm. calm down. You know, I haven't actually tried that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was wondering if yeah. you were up to your eyeballs, but they were going in separate directions. Yeah, yeah, they probably have done at some point. You know, it's it's hard to remember now. It's just all a blur. I, it, yeah. it definitely was busy though. <laughs> yeah. Getting easier now. They're at the lovely age now. We're just slightly more independent okay. and stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to emerge from that kind of cloud of like, oh, you know, early motherhood in that first year. But um, yeah, yeah, pretty busy. Like, yeah. Was it quite a traumatic start then? Because obviously you weren't expecting to give birth at that point. Otherwise, there's no way you would have been on tour. Oh, yeah, no. It's, I mean, like I say, it was, it's a lovely tour to go on. I was never worried uh, before I went there that, that it was going to be stressful and that. Um, you know, we get driven around everywhere. The, the gigs are really nice. It's as touring goes. It's it's an easy tour. You know, mm. it's gonna just take it easy. Um, yeah, it was obviously a, a real shock to to find out that I was having contractions and had to go to the hospital. And uh, but then I, I found out I was in a really really good hospital with a fantastic neonatal department. I was like, right. oh, you know, it, it's I'm I'm putting a positive spin on things as as things were progressing. I still had no idea that I was going to give birth there for a few days. I was kind of going, oh, maybe I should pack my gig clothes and stuff just in case I still make it to the gig on Wednesday night. You know? <laughs> oh, hilarious now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I gave birth a few days later after being in hospital. And did you have to stay there for a while? Yeah. I, had to, I was there for uh, two months altogether in the hospital. Uh, returned home on the 23rd of December, so we, we were cutting it fine for Christmas. Wow. And uh, yeah, it produced a lot of stress and anxiety, mainly over kind of getting things like the birth registered and getting passports for them. All these things yeah. that are just made so much more difficult by being in a different country. I mean, it's difficult anyway. You've got to take a, 
you got to take a photo of a newborn baby mm-hmm. that passes all of the, you know, ticks all the boxes for passport photos. And... No smiling. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I've done yeah. that. Yeah. I've done that with Open my daughter. <laughs> my, my daughter's first passport picture has my hand right in the middle of her chest because she wouldn't yeah. keep still. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they get it for five years as well, you know. What, what Fair, kind of. <laughs> yeah. And just. You know, you had to get witnesses to sign the passports who have a UK address or finding a printer to use, getting someone to come into your house to find your personal documents that you need to then get sent away and getting papers translated into German or it's just like this endless, just one thing after another. Um, But then at the centre of all that were just these two little sleeping babies side by side who absolutely fine and healthy without right. a care in the world just needing a few cuddles now and then just really peaceful and uh, little Jürgen yeah. and Kurt was it yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> <Gretel>. yes. <laughs> yeah yeah they, they had no idea they were the cause of so much activity and, and yet at the same time they they were kind of the remedy for that stress you just kind of just go and sit by the cot for a little while and oh, take a few breaths because they yeah. they just exuded this peace, peaceful. Um, yeah, lovely. Yeah, it was it was lovely. They were lovely moments. What are their names? <laughs> we should give them a name check. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, we yeah we we thought of some German ones, but we didn't go for that in the end. They're called Gwen and Jay, Aww. boy and a girl. Lovely. Yeah. What about you, Rachel? What have you been up to? Um. <laughs> I mean, what do you say after that? Come on, top that. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I was so I was just remembering. I was just, yeah, I was just remembering that tour. Yeah. <laughs> it's it must, just like yeah. when you hear it back again. It's like, it must have been oh, quite God. stressful for the band as well. <laughs> well, I mean, it was the first time I suppose we'd ever done a gig without Amy, and it, that which was quite a thought in itself. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, obviously the. The day that that Amy went into hospital, we kind of we weren't sure what to do about that gig. We we ended up cancelling that one gig. Keith um, Keith Melville, who is an absolutely just brilliant man altogether, he um, is Scottish but lives over there, and he put the yeah. tour together for us um, and looked after us. And yeah, he he was so supportive, and and we we cancelled that that gig, and then and then the next few gigs we did as a five piece and. It was, you know, at first, obviously, we were really worried, you know, worried about the situation and things. And then I think it was, was it the Saturday, Amy, that, that you ended up having having the twins? Yeah. I think it yeah. was, yeah. Um, so on the Saturday night, you know, well, the Saturday during the day, we got the we got the, the photos of the news um, that everything had happened and happened successfully and it was just such an amazing thing. And we got to the gig and... Um, you know, there's always an introduction at the the start of the gig in German, and you're never quite sure what's what's ha- what they're saying. But um, <laughs> you can see it. It's like I think it was maybe the fourth time we'd been out there, so we knew. You know, the audiences knew us, we knew them, and it was really supportive environment. And you could just see, <laughs> you could just see their faces kind of being told this story at the start, and then at the, you know they were kind of <laughs> leaning forward in their seats, just sort of wide eyed, and you could see them, and then. The person must have, you know, I don't, I don't speak German, but the person must have at the end said, "And then she's had them today, and they're fine." And you could, everyone just started cheering and like <laughs> getting out of their seats. Just, it was, it was like the best like warm up to get on stage ever, because you know you're like, 
and you can't go wrong. Like the audience yeah. is totally on your side at this point. You know, <laughs> one of your bands just had a baby like that. You know, it's just brilliant. So two, it was, yeah, two it was babies even. Two babies exactly. Yeah. And Kieran, um, Amy's husband, Kieran came out, um, who's also a, a great musician, and he, um, he actually came along on the Sunday night. We had our last gig, and it was again in a, in a familiar venue. And he came. He was able to come along to the gig, and he was standing at the back of the gig. Um, having a, I think he had two beers, but he got quite drunk on them <laughs> just after the experience. And he was just, you know, he was just having a lovely old time. And we were in floods of tears on stage, just, you know, talk, telling the audience about Amy and, and seeing Kieran in the, the audience. It was just a really, I mean, yeah, what a, what a special, amazing thing to happen. Yeah, yeah. She did that. She did that in every tour now. I know. I know you can't really talk yeah. it, can you? <laughs> Take it in turns now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just have to give uh, Amy nine months' notice of when you're going to do a tour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe not as much as that. that was, well, it wasn't as much as that. Yeah, that was the no, thing. Yeah, I only needed, uh, what was it, six and a half months or something? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah, yeah, so but you've been stuck at home, Rachel, um, but you've been yes. doing a few projects, right? I have, yeah. I am um, just, well, just as we started lockdown last year, I. Um, was just supposed to be just going into the studio to record um, a solo album. So that, that kind of had to kind of change my plans with that a bit and ended up doing that from from home, which was an experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was actually it was actually great. It was really enjoyable. Um, Matty Folds, who was my engineer and co-producer, he sort of was able to pull everything together from from his where he was mm-hmm. and um and yeah, just we the whole band just recorded from home, um, from our respective homes, and and that was like a, I think just doing that, having that focus was really mm-hmm. was really great. So that was my album to the all, and then that came out in November. So I suppose just and I did a, I also did a crowdfunder. So all of that kind of took up quite a bit of last year, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, got various sort of new projects on the go. Myself and Lauren McCall are just starting got a new that. duo project. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so. Um, that's been kind of keeping us busy and yeah just enjoying actually quite enjoying being at home but definitely ready now to get back out there yeah I think <laughs> a lot of people have kind of had enough now I mean we really hope that we could do Tradfest this year but you know we're just kind of at that moment when it's still not quite possible and hopefully by the summer yeah. things will be starting again um, so you're um, you're involved with this uh, bit collective as well is that right yeah, you say something yeah, about um, that? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, I mean, you can't really, I mean, sort of talking about women in music, you, <laughs> um, you can't get much more women in music than having giving birth on tour. I right. <laughs> yeah. um, men, men definitely um, can't do that. <laughs> but yeah, I suppose that brings, you know, that brings me on to talk about the Bit Collective, which is um, a group that myself and Jen Butterworth and Katrina Hawksworth. Um, run uh, it's just looking at I suppose well looking at equality in folk and traditional music issues of equality mainly women in music but we also kind of want to look at just any way that that people might feel marginalized um as as musicians and in the music scene or or also around that in the music industry as a whole um and just yeah just trying to see how we can make things better for for people in that position, I suppose, and what needs to be done, really. So does that mean 
when you say talk about people being marginalised, is that in terms of racial ways or and, yeah, and not um, just in folk music, but in other genres as well? Yeah, I mean, we kind of we've realised that in some ways, focusing in on folk and traditional music and sort of Scotland, kind of like the smaller you focus in on on something, the more change you can make within within that in some ways. Okay. So we do we do look kind of at it in a wider way, but and we we speak to you know we're in collaboration with a lot of other groups that look at the same sort of stuff and in different genres and things like that. But we we mainly focus on folk and traditional music. Um, but yeah, we we're looking at you know race, um, disabilities, um, class. You know all all these things. You know, age um, and age exactly. Yeah, totally. We we were interested in all of that, um, and just yeah, trying to figure out how we can we can do better really and and support people. Yeah, and has this come out of your own kind of experiences then along the way? I mean, obviously you guys have been, you know, working uh, professionally for. I don't want to say actually, but certainly both of you more than ten years. I mean, Amy, you started really young, didn't you? Yeah, I suppose um, when you uh, come out fresh out of university, you just kind of dive in. But you you, you already been kind of uh, working and you know working professionally for since early teens, I suppose. You know, doing mm-hmm. festivals and things and getting yeah getting your head around the the scene. And have you seen changes in that time? I mean. Certainly in the last couple of years, things seem to be, you know, probably thanks to some of the stuff that you've been doing, Rachel, um, I think things are starting to change a little bit. I mean, are there any reflections you can make on that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, you know, something that kind of kicked me off um, was the she being told that by a festival organiser, you know, and I think it was maybe about five or six years ago that they already had their girl band for that year, so they wouldn't be needing us. Was that the Spice <laughs> Girls? <laughs> yeah, it's always we're always in competition with the Spice Girls. It's just so annoying. <laughs> but <laughs> they're always getting the gigs. <laughs> but um, but yeah, so it that that was one thing, and yeah, just looking at kind of um, awards, kind of just um. And looking at musician of the year was, you know, often which I ended up winning actually in the end, which was um, <laughs> that put my gas at people's foot. <laughs> the, um, the false moustache helped probably. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, but yeah, there was quite a few just things like that, and and I mean, I think there still there still are, but it, it it has improved. It has improved definitely. I think. Um, at least people are talking about it more and a bit more aware of it, I think. Um, uh, yeah, and it's something that should be only improved with awareness as well. This is a simple fix, isn't it? You just, yeah. you find the, the the women musicians, you know, yeah. and they're out there. It's um, it, it doesn't really get much complicated than that in terms of uh, festival promoters and things, is it? Yeah. yeah, totally. I think just, yeah, I think just thinking, like sometimes if I was at a festival and I'd just be like, watching the stage and just sort of all all male band after all male band maybe the odd female singer like you know it just it really occurs to me that it's just like I'm just like is anyone else noticing this is it just me um and I do think that maybe that is definitely I think more people are noticing that now which is good yeah not just the folk world I remember we were sort of booking uh, a whole series of uh, spotlight sort of videos that we're filming and we're trying to get some young jazz musicians and uh, trying to get the balance right 
you know, the sort of male-female balance, gender balance, right? And almost every um, female jazz musician is a singer, a vocalist. There's very few, you know, uh, on the scene. And to some extent, yeah. it was that way, I think, in folk music as well. You know, it was uh, mostly women were seen to be the ones that would sing the songs and the men would play the instruments. But uh, yeah, for it's sure. changing, changing, definitely changing. Yeah. You know? And we, we yeah. found some great young jazz musicians, you know. Yeah, I saw that. I, I I saw that actually. I saw that on your lineup, and and also, you know, you dared to have the she and the Canaris quintet on the same festival. Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> All female band. <laughs> it's because the, the, the Spice Girls weren't available. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's just like we, you know, we're totally different, totally different bands. Of course, you know, yeah. It's, it's and yeah. So thanks for <laughs> thanks for doing that. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because I think jazz is obviously a wee bit behind uh, folk music, if you like. But I mean, even very recently, I don't know if you noticed at Celtic Connections that even in India, where the, the women there play all the instruments, but generally if they perform, they're just singing. So at the concert that came from um, Jodhpur for Celtic Connections, they had the first ever woman to play an instrument in an international um, presentation. Wow a cartel player the bones the, so that even even in wow. india it's starting to they're starting mm. to think about it too which is fantastic yeah. yeah so um more power to your elbow um i think you're doing fantastic uh work and we look forward to hopefully seeing the she next year at Tradfest. Mm -hmm. fingers crossed yes fingers yeah. crossed. You're all <laughs> to it. getting you all free yeah. is a bit of a challenge as well i think but i think we're gonna hear <laughs> We're going to hear a song um, that you've brought to us today. Um, so, uh, Amy, do you want to introduce it? Uh, maybe I'll leave this one to Rachel. She knows the um, name okay. of the little song. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. That always helps when you're introducing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so uh, we spoke a bit earlier about the Continuum project that we did for our 10th, 10th anniversary. Um, yeah. So I asked Kareen Polwart to write us a, to write a song for for me to sing in, in the band and she um knowing that that we all especially me love um a strong woman <laughs> she she decided to kind of write a song in tribute to Mary Brooksbanks who was a um a mill worker a socialist trade unionist um Brilliant. kind of fierce fighter for for the rights of, of workers um, and she wrote a song called the Jute Mill Song. So the beginning of the the track, you you hear her singing that herself. We we were given permission by the School of Scottish Studies to to use that recording. Amazing. Um, oh. And then the song after that, following that, is a song that was written by Kareen Polwart for for us for our for our birthday. Fantastic. Oh. Thanks so much. It's so lovely to see you. Hope to see nice you soon. You. you too. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully you. see you in the flesh sometime before long. Yeah. 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 Thanks. Thanks for everything you do for music. Oh. Total joy. Total <laughs> joy. All the best. Thanks. Bye. Oh dear me, the world's all divided. For them that work the hardest are will least provided. But I'll just be contented. Dark days are fine. But there's no much pleasure lover often ten and nine. That song, uh, that ditty, 
was something the year we got was half of a 10%. Mm. And it was offered next week for the National Health Insurance. <laughs> so we gained nothing. On a windless evening in December, she was born into her father's hands. She was the dock worker's only daughter. All the boats were iced in at the harbour. There was no fee for the working man. It was sore and empty arms that caught her. She grew to be a brawy mother, though she'd never bid a bairn herself. She'd raise her four beloved brothers. There was the whole world to look after. She could see the way the chances fell. And she dreamed of something better. She sang, oh dear me. What will we do? Oh dear me, what will we do? Oh dear me, what will we do? Oh dear me, oh dear me. She had the nimble heart of a jute mill shifter and a weaver's way of she was such a bonny fighter And in those days of the means test inspector She raised a red flag on the street And vowed that none would be her master She sang, oh dear me, what will we do? Oh dear me, what will we do?
we do? Oh dear me, oh dear me. Thanks to Rachel Newton and Amy Thatcher for stopping by. And the track you just heard was the Jute Mill song, Song for Mary, from the She's album, Continuum. Now we're going back to Helsinki, where Malin is talking to Tero Huvaloma. I have the pleasure today um, of speaking to Tero Huvalama, who is a teacher at the Sibelius Academy and currently my fiddle teacher. But Tero has many more and many better things that go on in their life than teaching me fiddle, including the band Frigg. Um, and Frigg was due to be playing at uh, Edinburgh Tradfest this year um, with myself and many other amazing bands. Um, so it's really cool to chat to you today and hopefully learn a bit about Finnish music, um, some things that hopefully I've learnt, some things hopefully I'm going to learn, and just, yeah, life as a fiddle player in Finland. So welcome, Tara. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm fine. I'm looking forward. It's it's nice to be here. So I just thought I'd ask uh, at the beginning, whereabouts are you from in Finland, just to give people a picture? Uh, originally, I'm from Veteli, and that's that's in central Ostrobotnia, in western part of Finland. And um, some of you might know Kaustinen, which has a very strong reputation uh, folk music-wise, maybe. And uh, Veteli is that's the uh, same region. It's right next to Kaustinen, about 450 kilometers north from Helsinki. Nice, that's cool. I vaguely traveled north of Helsinki, but I still <laughs> need to do some more exploring. Um, so you mentioned Kaustinen. Um, during the time that I've been here, it's mentioned a lot by several different people. So, could you please just talk a little bit about? why Kaustinen is so special in Finland and the musical traditions from that area? Mm, well, Kaustinen has, or Kaustinen region, I like to say, there's there's Veteli, Kaustinen, Halsua, three, three like, uh, places which has or have had very strong fiddling tradition and folk music tradition. And Kaustinen is the place that has remained the tradition the best i think it's where it's very strong at the moment still uh, in Kaustinen. and the the bowing style and the tunes are quite unique in finland and in overall like in in world i think yeah and also uh, in Kaustinen there is a Kaustinen folk music festival which is one of the biggest folk music festivals in northern europe and i think that has that has a lot of a lot to do with that as well yeah, I mean, everyone keeps going on about the festival, and to me, it sounds a little bit like the Finnish Celtic connections. Yeah, um, you would say that yeah. definitely. Yeah, and how has that been a part of your musical career forever, basically? Well, I have been there every year since I was five, I think, or, <laughs> and uh, performing every year. So it has had a huge part in my in my musical history, and. And 
many years that's like a main that's a that's a goal if you if you are going to release an album that's the that's the festival to release it amazing or, or used to be at least <laughs> not saying why <laughs> um how did the how did the festival change the music you played even to do with meeting different people there or did you ever sort of was there a main stage that you always wanted to play at that kind of did you ever play music specifically to do stuff at the festival or is it a very broad open-minded place it's it's definitely like a open-minded festival and that that brings you you see things that you would not see otherwise cool especially finland is it, it's a bit remote country maybe and uh, the folk music scene isn't that big there's only three festivals and so that's that was a huge opportunity to see international acts first yeah. of all and um, and of course meet meet folk music people yeah for sure and well also we have been preparing some concerts especially especially for the festival mm. many years and, and that's that's also has been a big part of you know you gather a a group of musicians and, and and plan a show for the festival. So that also has been a, a way to collaborate. With That's really cool. Mm. How how did you end up playing there when you were five years old? What what's the story there? Uh, there was this napparit. I, I don't know if you're familiar with napparit thing. It's a it's like a folk music school or or a method okay. developed by Mauna Järvelä. And um, it's um, it's for children. That time it, it was one week course, like uh, at the summertime, mm. like in June, and we prepared tunes for the festival, and we had few gigs at the festival. And I think it's still going now. It's the napparit thing in Finland. It's it's huge. It's there's this napparit courses like uh, during the year in in different places nowadays. But that time it was only one week. But that was also a big thing, you know. Every summer we had that camp, and then we had a gig for you know thousand people or two thousand people or something. That was a huge thing for a five-year-old. Amazing. <laughs> mm. Yeah. What's been your most special experience from Kalstenen? Oh. Hmm. <laughs> That's hard to hard to tell. What is the most special? Well. Actually, a few years ago, we had a quite nice gig with a uh, with a folk rock band, Snekka. That was that was my main band for years when I was in high school. That times, and then we had like almost ten years break, and kind of had a comeback gig at Kausinen Festival, and and we prepared like um, like uh, how 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 you say it. There was there was you a few guys doing a performance and uh, and you know playing their ten year old old tunes again with with those old fellows that was that was very nice and and there was lots of people and they were really excited cool. that was that was that was one of the best gigs I remember nice. there but every year there has been something special something yeah. something that 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 uh, well special. For for example, like a record uh, releasing gig or something. Nice. Yeah. No, it sounds it sounds like such an amazing festival, and I really need to get to it at some point. Um, yes. Definitely. You touched on. Did you say Neka is a rock band? Snekka. Yeah. It's um, 
or it was, I don't know, does it still exist, but uh, <laughs> folk, folk rock band, yes. Cool. Like, um, so one of my things I'd like to learn, learn about is your background, kind of. How did you, did you always play folk music and did you ever go to other genres, perhaps? Mm, I started playing classical and I did that until I was uh, 17, maybe, when I started, started uh, studying folk music. And uh, but but folk music was there all the time, basically. Yeah, yeah I think I started with uh, with class, you know the basic like uh, like Twinkle Twinkle Little Star <laughs> stuff. But there was still something like folk tunes on the For side. Sure. Yeah, and how did the influences of kind of rock and jazz make their way into your life? Well, in high school, I think there was people who 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 played rock and uh and pop music but we're interested about folk music as well so we just we started playing playing different kind of genres and actually i got a bit into jazz when i i was studying but that was you know i was already 20 something mm-hmm. when i started and that has been i don't i don't consider myself as a jazz musician but i like the colors or the you know, you can. I like to take influences from different genres to to my music. Sure, I really like your use of the word color. I think that's how I feel about things like jazz that I don't quite understand, but I there's sounds and tastes that I want to explore and things. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. So that's yeah, it's really cool. So um, to the main event, you are a fiddle player and member of the band Frigg, uh, a seven piece supergroup from Finland. Is that correct? Seven? Mm-hmm. Seven is like correct at least. Wonderful. <laughs> um, so I don't know about the super crew, but... <laughs> mm. From Finland though, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> um, could correct. you tell me a bit about your involvement in the band? Um, and what I would really love to talk about a little bit is how you go about arranging music for the band. Yeah. I had my first gig at uh, 05, I guess, or... Or six, maybe. Anyway, a stand-in gig, and actually the first one was in in Finland, and, and there was there was only two fiddles, me and Esko Järvela playing the fiddles. So my duty was to play play the melodies, and he was playing the harmonies. And um, and we didn't have any rehearsal. I needed to learn the tunes from the <laughs> albums, and that was two sets, like two times forty minutes or something. So that yeah. was a huge work for me. And. Uh, well, first time we played together, that was soundcheck, and uh, <laughs> and there was, uh, for example, one humbo Esco's composition, because uh, the the melody or the second harmony go on the album goes above the melody, so I didn't know which one is the melody, or you know, <laughs> I just followed the highest note, so I had learned the melody so that there's some second harmony involved. And you know, when there's one hour before the gig, you need to le- relearn their tunes, <laughs> basically. And then there was there was a set of like um, seven, eight tunes, a bit, bit tricky ones. And uh, on the albums, the tempos were quite reasonable. But mm-hmm. at the soundtrack, you know, when when it was double, I'm not lying, the double the tempo I was I had rehearsed. <laughs> so I, that was. <laughs> That wasn't the nicest gig I have ever had. Okay. Yeah. Fair when enough. they when the other ones went after the soundtrack went they went eating 
I, I needed to still to rehearse the last last tunes before the gig. <laughs> but it went well still. And uh, slowly, I started to do more those stand-in or substitute gigs. And 2009, maybe, or eight, uh, we changed the lineup so that the, the Norwegian guys who were involved, yeah. they they left behind. And uh, it was all finished freak then. Cool. And I have, now I have been, nowadays I have been uh, starting to, to more and more be involved composing tunes, arranging tunes yeah. for the band. Yeah, I mean, I've been learning some of your compositions within Frigg and it's been really exciting. Um, how do you, do you write all of the music yourself or do you come together as a band and arrange the stuff then? Or do you bring lots of ideas and say, this is how I want my piece played? It depends, but nowadays mostly. It, before, it used to be more more arranging together and drawing drawing out ideas but nowadays nowadays it's it's mostly that the composer already have has all the all the ideas and all the all the notes basically at least myself i don't write i don't write parts for guitar or mm-hmm. you know if it's only chords there's no sense to to write every note it's it's like basically like chords and and chord rhythms and and then i just tell the ideas or a show on the guitar or something, but but yeah. I'm writing everything. But for fiddles, it's mostly everything is written, also ornament ornamentation and bowings. We might change something together at the rehearsal if if there's something to what's need to be needs to be changed. But mostly it's all written. But but as I said, it depends. Every now and then there might be something we you know someone improvises a second harmony or or we might change some part or something for sure but now we are actually we're going to have a, a rehearsal or a composing camp or or how, how you call it but let's see because we we might try different methods to do new music yeah we are we are but... willing to explore because now it the few latest albums it has been so that there's like pre-written arrangements mostly fascinating and could you tell me a little bit about the other projects you're involved in you mentioned playing with Esco Yarvela um do you have a duo with him yes we have a duo called Teho it's two five string fiddles and uh, yeah we are preparing a new album and also we have uh, we have this um, we're going to going to play for um Finnish national radio they are going to do a recording 40 minutes new new music we are just preparing now and it's it's in few weeks and so it's Amazing. it's it's active and i hope it will be act, uh, active kicking wise after after the situation again that sounds really cool and um, then i i have tiango band called tiango where i'm involved and it's a co- uh, combination of Tango and uh, Django Reinhardt. Nice. <laughs> <So> Manu's <laughs> swing. And uh, well, most nowadays it's only it's only our own tunes, and I I would like to call it world music or Nordic world music. Hmm. But that's something different. It's the the others in the band. They are there's one there's jazz guitar player and two classical like a double bass and accordion players who who are mainly classical. Nice. So that's a different environment for me as well as a folk musician to be involved. 
and that's that's a bit more jazzy. It's there's lots of solos and and uh, and also a different kind of sound production that it's. I mean, from the fiddle, <laughs> like what, sure. I'm, what I'm used to. And uh, then I'm preparing a solo album. That's going to be a, it's going to be a, a minimalistic and and a bit bit more electronic. Mm. I have already made two two solo albums, and that, uh, those were quite acoustic. There was a quintet and a string quartet. But this is going to be a more more like electronic and minimalistic. That's cool. Who is involved in that? Are you programming all the electronics yourself, or is there someone else? I'm not sure yet. I will do <laughs> some of that my, myself. There will be Maya Kauhanen, excellent Kantele player from Finland, yeah. my, a friend of mine. And um, I have planned to to ask you a drummer and and a keyboard player, but I haven't asked them yet. So, <laughs> <laughs> can you say who they are? Or do they, not do you yet. Not know no, no, no. I, I want first. I want to know if they want to be involved. <laughs> yeah, but I have been composing the music. It's it's not ready yet, but it's in the good good stage at, at the moment. And I hope yeah. to get the album out this year still. That sounds really exciting. Is it something that you have have come up with from influences from other bands and things, or is it like very much an original idea that you're trying to create because there's a gap in the market? I'm trying to find my own voice. I yeah. I really try to. At first, when I did the first first album of mine, I mm-hmm. at that point I I had been playing with with uh, with folk bands a lot on the on the main stages of of festivals. You know, the last one playing loud yeah. and fast. I wanted to do something different. I wanted to do a bit more sophisticated, or how how you call it. I don't know what is a good word for that. Yeah. That was my goal then. That I wanted to kind of kind of find a new voice for myself that I to do something else what yeah. I have what I have used to do uh, but nowadays I really try to seek what I like to what would I like to sound now or what I hear in my head yeah and and I don't know how much it it has to do with the fiddle actually mm. because I I now I see that most of the compositions I have made so far for the album doesn't actually include solo fiddle. It's it's strings okay. and harmonies. And yeah, is it melody driven or is it more beat driven? Not beat, maybe harmony. Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. I have been thinking a lot if mel- melody is necessary because before it was very as a folk musician, melody yeah. is that's the thing. But now I have been I have been exploring if it needed if it's needed or not. I don't know. Well, thank you very much for chatting um, and it's been really lovely to talk about these things and I'm sure we'll catch up soon in a lesson at some point. Yes. But thank you very much and thank all you. the best, Tero. Thank you. My my pleasure. Now as a special treat, we're going to hear a track that Tero wrote for the latest Frigg album. It's called Hakisan Really. Enjoy. Thank you. 
So, many thanks to Malin and Tero. That track is from Prig's new album, Fricks. So that's like F-R-I-X-X. Next up is The Shiggle Story from bassist Quee MacArthur. Here goes. Well, this is Quee from Shiggle Nifty and... uh... I'm just going to relate um, one of our experiences from a wee while ago. Uh, we were in Canada on tour and kind of rushing around the place. And uh, by some chance, we managed to arrive at a ferry terminal to go to Salt Spring Island early. And uh, we were like, woohoo, we arrived at a ferry terminal early because we were desperate not to miss the ferry. And we all sat down and, uh, in the cafe and like had a cup of coffee and ate some kind of Canadian bear claws or something <laughs> like that, and um, and so we were just really relaxed about getting the ferry. Like we've got loads of time, we've got so much time. And then the next, some people kind of wandered off towards the ferry, and then the next thing we know, there was a call out going, "This is the last call for the ferry to Salt Spring Island." We we're going, "That's us! How did how did that happen?" And so I think it was me and Luke and Neil, the sound engineer, and Angus ran along the ramp because everybody else was way ahead of us like, and we ran round round it it was actually quite a big terminal it's more it's a really long distance running and running and then we came to this door and like i came out the door and neil was like it's locked it's locked it must be it this must be it oh my god we're gonna miss the ferry oh, that's so stupid and so he just punched these random numbers into this keypad that was there that was the security code for the doors <laughs> and the doors opened <laughs> And he's like, we were like, yes, the doors have opened. And so we ran up the ramp, literally. And then we came to a screaming stop at the end of the ramp because it was actually open air over the ocean. So if we'd kept running, we would have just fallen about 60 feet into the sea because there was no ferry there. And we're like, why is the ferry not there? And then we could actually see the other guys on the right ferry, on the right ramp kind of like <laughs> in the distance. And we're like, we so we went right back. So we all ran down the ramp. By this time, the doors had shut, closed. And we were like, what code did you use, Neil? I said, I don't know, I just put in like random numbers. I can't remember. <laughs> well, just do it again, do it again. So we put in the random numbers, like, nothing. Nothing. And I said, was there an orange, there was an orange phone at the top of the ramp, wasn't there? Yeah. So we shot up, back up the ramp, Neil picked up the phone, and he's going, hello, hello. And some Canadian person goes, Oh, hello, what's can I what's the matter there? Can I help you there? It's going, We're stuck in a ramp and we're gonna get the ferry, we're stuck in a ramp. It's going, Oh, how did you get up there? Very relaxed. <laughs> and uh, and had a wee laugh to himself. Meanwhile we are kind of going, How did this happen? And eventually a nice Canadian came along and opened the doors for us and we made it onto the ferry. <laughs> Way so we were like, yes, we um, but um for, I don't know if it was continuing the theory of uh, kind of random numbers, random selection, but that night at our gig, we just for some reason decided that we, rather than writing a set list, we'd put all the names of the tunes into it, write them on bits of paper and put them in a hat, and get the audience members to select tunes, thereby making it an interactive experience. Of course, what happened was, uh, all of the fastest, most full-on tunes were selected first. 
And so we played all the really fast tunes. Right, look, that's tune after tune after tune was really full on fast tunes. Um, until, so we got about halfway through the set and then Angus went, I think we'll just like see something else when the tune comes out. And so after that, just Angus was just making it up what it was on the piece of paper. Um, so that's what happens uh, when you mess with random selection. And that's why I've never been a great believer in numerology. Thanks to all our guests today, Petri Pruda and Tero Huvaloma from Frigg, Derry Farrell, Rachel Newton and Amy Thatcher from The She, and Queen MacArthur from Sugar Nifty. Extra special thanks to Marin Lewis, our brilliant Helsinki correspondent. So thanks again for listening in. We hope you'll join us tomorrow for Old Blind Dogs and AJ Roach from Virginia. Plus lots more. So see you then. And I'd just like to remind people, if you are listening to this during the festival, don't forget our Rebellious Truth Lecture with Corrine Polwart, Mike Vass and Myra Green, which will be streaming on Monday the 10th of May. You can buy tickets now at edinburghtradfest.com. Thanks a lot. Edinburgh Tradfest podcast is produced and presented by Douglas Robertson and Jane Ann Purdy, with the help of our hugely capable engineer, Dave Kay. The theme tune, Silence of the Trams, is by Angus R. Grant, performed and arranged by Shovel Nifty. Information on all our guests and the music played is listed on our website, edinburghtradfest.com. Huge thanks to our funders, Creative Scotland and... The William Grant Foundation, makers of Glenfiddich and other wonderful things. Please rate, review and subscribe to Edinburgh Tradfest podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Apparently that helps other people find it. Thanks very much.